Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 76th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows how to command your attention. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Looking forward to episode 76. We have all sorts of interesting stuff to share with you, including a special guest segment. Um, our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial lines in the hobby. All right, Travis, break down the agenda for everybody this week. Well, James, this week we have a show in three parts. Segment one is our top movers. We'll look at the cards that have seen the largest increases in price over the past week. Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I will talk about a few cards that we think could rise in price. And segment three is our topic of the week. We're joined by Jason Alt of Brainstorm Brewery, MTG Price, and several other sources to talk about the way the market has been reacting to Commander lately. So let's jump in on segment one, our top movers. Our first card of the week is Intruder Alarm from 8th edition, although it also has a Stronghold printing. Uh, it is uh, the non-foil copies we're talking about specifically, but I believe the foils have triggered as well. Came in the week at around five-ish and change. Um, currently showing up around ten dollars for a, a, just about a double up. This came. Uh, this hit the scene based on some modern Conley Woods Brew paired with Beck and Call. If I believe, if I'm to be correct here, is that is that correct? The other card that uh, suddenly makes this deck a little better. Out of uh, Hour of Devastation is Steward of Solidarity, the 1-2-2, uh, two, two, sorry, the 1 in a white 2-2, two, two, um, where you can tap it and exert it and create a 1-1 one, one white warrior creature token with Vigilance, which of course then triggers Intruder Alarm, which untaps it, which allows you to do it infinitely. Mm, that is not a... Yeah, so with it, that's a two-card combo then, right? That creature and the enchantment gives you infinite creatures. Exactly. Okay, so you know what? I will say that... There are an infinite number of three-card combos in Modern, and most of the time they're not good enough. Um, Collected Company decks are the rare exception, but two-card combos are worth paying attention to. That's Sahili Felidar, that's Splinter Twin Deceiver Exarch, uh, it's Devoted Druid, uh, and whatever, uh, Vizier, and apparently Intruder Alarm, and whatever this other creature is, so interesting. Um and there's so What's many two-card combos in white right now in Modern that I just kind of just want to jam them all together into one deck and call it the Hail Mary. And just, you know, some games you're you're playing a Solemnity combo. Sometimes you're doing something with Kitchen Finks. You know, who knows what you're, what you're going to go off with. But there's probably like 12 different combos you can jam in a deck at this point. Yeah, I mean, you could basically take the Collected Company deck Make sure that the Devoted Druid Vizier combo is in there, and then also shove in a playset of Intruder Alarms and this creature, and you've got like three or four right there as it is. <clears throat> Although it is funny, if you tried to get a playset of all the combo pieces, strict combo pieces for our like Sahili, the, the um, like Malira combo and this, I think you'd be close to 
your max right away. And, and <laughs> you'd have a whole quick. and you'd have a whole bunch of non bows in your deck, but <laughs> yeah. All right, I got Sahili Rai and Malira. We're in business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make All a copy right. of I'm gonna make a copy of Malira, uh, which immediately. Wait, is she is Sahili non legendary? Uh, who cares? It's it's all stupid Whatever. anyway. Yeah, <laughs> just play a good deck. Yeah. All right. What's our next card? All right. So next on our list this week, we've got uh, Hour of Devastation. We got a Hour of Devastation card from Hour of Devastation, which is not going to be confusing to anyone ever and makes searching on eBay for this card super easy. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so starting price for this was in at around $3. Right now they're going for 8 It's definitely going to fall back down. Uh, are the hours rares or mythics? Remind me. Uh, Hour of Devastation, I think, is a rare. I'm fairly sure it's a rare um this one apparently nasif was chatting and said that he thinks it's uh possibly bannable which is like mind-blowing to me because we've never had anything like this um kind of reach that level in fact cards like this tend to be sort of self-regulating because if hour of devastation gets really good people will just play start playing decks that don't lose hour of devastation so it's not like it can take over the format might not be the healthiest card but you know it wouldn't be the type of card like you know sahili rai where it's 60 percent of the meta i don't know whatever i guess bonfire was expensive right but that was mythic well i mean it certainly provides an outlet to hold down planeswalkers in in this format i don't see how you confidently cast them into something that kills all your creatures and all your planeswalkers i mean the thing with gideon was always that even if you've got creature kill gideon's still on the board and if you've got uh planeswalker kill he can either emblem or put a creature into play and still get some value um this thing clears up all his tokens and him at the same time um and if you're playing some control deck that's running bolus it doesn't even affect him Mm-hmm. yeah so i mean the card seems strong i think it's going to fall down um from that level uh it is a rare um i don't like rares if it was a mythic um you might have my attention but eight dollar rares no, nah, that's that's going to fall down at three or four dollars before you need to be worried about it. You know, I suppose there's the outside <laughs> chance that this is the chase card from from our devastation. And because the rest of the set sucks so much, the price will be higher on it. Like you could see that culmination of factors, but uh, you have to have a lot of things go right for that. Um, OK, next card up is inspiring call. Uh, and this is uh, from Dragons of Tarkir. We are looking at the foils. Went from about a dollar to three dollars. This is an uncommon. It says draw. It's an instant for three mana. Draw a card for each creature you control with a one-one counter on it. Those creatures gain indestructible until end of turn. Um, my first thought might have been like one of the the Scorpion God or like Hapatra, but I realized those are minus one minus one counters, not plus one plus one. You wrote down Atraxa here, which I think is probably reasonable. Like, is this card? heavily played in Atraxa decks I, it, I suppose it's also I've also seen it in Frontier and the, like the hardened scales decks and in That's theory 3,000 decks damn yeah you, you might run like a single copy in in a modern hardened scales brew um but yeah I mean somebody decided this was this is going to be a long-term thing um it was just reprinted in Commander 2016 so we're unlikely to see it again and of course if you're reprinted in 2016 that is a really good signal to go get some foils because the next re- reprint might not be for a long time and in the meantime the foils are just draining and draining right yeah I sure I but guess the, the crazy thing here is that's an a foil uncommon it's not even a rare yeah. um and it only came out a few years ago and there's just none around yeah i mean it was from dragons i guess well interesting interesting 
Um, all right. What do you got next for us? So another card that's been languishing in binders for years and years, Yomiji, who bars the way, foils moved mm-hmm. from uh, $3 to $9. Um, Yomiji says that if a legendary permanent goes to your graveyard, it comes back to your hand, I believe. Um, which is probably somebody specking on the premise that Planeswalkers are about to be legendary because then it fits into the Super Friends Attracts a Bruise in EDH. Um, whenever a legendary permanent or Yumiji dies, return it to its owner's hand. Hmm. Right, so if they kill Yumiji, you get him back. And if they kill anything else, it goes back to your hand. That's not bad. I mean, I guess, you know, this is one printing from Betrayers of Kamigawa. We're looking at the foil copies. I mean, there could have just been no none left. Does anyone actually play this thing? Let's see. What's its EDH rec profile? Uh, 31 decks in EDH. Ooh, <laughs> true. But but Legendary hasn't really been a thing in EDH. If, right, right, if, right, right. If Planeswalkers are suddenly Legendary, then I, I, I don't think it's crazy that a 7-drop in a Planeswalker deck that allows you to recurse the Planeswalkers might have a home. But I don't think this is because there is demand. This is somebody saying, I think there will be demand. So it's pure speculation. Right. Uh, and I think that's fair. You're correct. that, in, And we do know that the Planeswalkers are getting the legendary type, right? Like, that's not even a question. We saw it on the sheet. So unless that was all fake, then we know it's coming, which means he will work. So I could see it. I could see it. And the thing is, that this is one of these cards that's so heavily block-themed that it's not getting reprinted anytime soon. Certainly not in foil. I mean, even if it showed up in one of the commander decks this summer, um, it's not going to be a foil. So, Yeah, although I guess uh, for Modern Masters 2019, Wizards could always revisit the Kamigawa cycle. They did the dragons the first time. They'll go back and do the... People weren't who, too pleased about the dragons. The yeah, people weren't too pleased about the dragons, so I don't think they're going to go to the like spirit cycle. <laughs> no, no, it seems unlikely. All right, next up is Coastal Piracy. Uh, boy, we are hitting all the 8th edition rares this week. Um, this is from uh, Mercadian Masks and 8th edition. I guess this is the foil Mercadian Mask copy specifically this week. Jumped from 250 to 10. Um, this is uh, whenever it gives all of your creatures a Fidian. Um, whenever you deal damage to an opponent, you draw a card. Uh, I guess it's just an, a low inventory EDH thing. It is a cool effect. It's a little bit more than I'd like to pay for it. Um, I guess maybe, oh, you know what it is? It's the Locust God. Yep. Because he's the one that, because he, he, yep, he yep, you yep. draw a card, right? Or when you draw a card, you put a flyer in the play. So this card with Locust God is awesome because all your little flyers hit your opponents. You draw a bunch of cards. You make a shit ton more flyers. Yep, Exactly. There it is. We got there. <laughs> so I actually don't think that that's a bad choice. Uh, Locust God seems to be one of the more popular of the new gods, I think. The uh, Scorpion God doesn't seem to be catching people's attention in the same way the other two are. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's unfortunate there's not like a Jund-colored and minus one, minus one unifier commander that you could put Hapatra and Scorpion God in together because that would really be something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. What do you got next for us? All right. So next on the list, we've got uh, Polar Kraken, uh, which we will make fun of later in this episode. And we know that because okay. we've been to the future. Um, <laughs> this thing said an Ice Age. It was a dollar. Now, supposedly, it's $4. It's probably on the reserved list, I guess. Um, somebody may, might think that this thing is a combo with Solemnity because it has cumulative upkeep that gets turned off. Um it's terrible. I don't think 
anyone's ever going to be able to sell any copies of this card except to people that are collecting Ice Age, and there's only so many insane people in the world. Yeah, you're, uh, you are correct. It is on the reprint list. Unfortunately, we can't have Polar Kraken back. I think it's called Polar Kraken because according to the art, it eats polar bears. That's cool. Nice. Well, it's uh, a crack. It's a, called Polar Kraken because it's a kraken that lives in polar circumstances, right? But yeah, it, I like to, I like to believe that it's because he eats polar bears. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right, I like that story Last, better too. So we'll go with yeah. it. <laughs> Last card for the week is Hickory Woodlot, also from Mercadian Masks. What what an eclectic mix this week. Um, this is one of the depletion lands. So it comes in the play tap with two depletion counters on it. You remove a depletion counter to add two mana to your mana pool. Um, started the foil started the week at under a dollar. They're up around seven right now, supposedly. Uh, I don't know if there's really any traction on that at the moment. Uh, we've talked about this before in relation to Atraxa. Um, and with Atraxa up and running, you're getting. Uh, basically two mana every single turn um, off of one land, which is pretty nifty, but it does seem like kind of a lot of work. Uh, TCG market price is still at two and change, so it hasn't really changed too much there. Um, I don't know. I could see foils of this eventually hanging at three or four, but it seems like too much work, I think, especially since you have to lean on a tracks of surviving a lot of the times. All of these lands have been bouncing up and down for a couple of months now. We've talked about a couple of them um, over the last 12 weeks or so. Somebody's been targeting and retargeting this. Like they do the thing where like a couple more copies come into the market and they buy the, and if they're low enough, they buy those up too. So they can try to float the price higher. Um, I have some as well that I bought locally, but like at a dollar or $2 each, you know, as kind of throwaway specs to just put in a box and, and post somewhere someday and hope to get $10. But I don't think you can take this one too seriously until you see it like more attracts the players, uh, more attracts the decks using it more frequently. I mean, it seems reasonable. I think that I, I'm going to be building attracts soon and I'm going to try it uh, a couple of those lands and see how they play out. I think it really depends. Its usefulness depends on how much other proliferate you have outside of Atraxa herself, because like you said, if Atraxa is dead, then it doesn't really do anything. Um but if you're if you're multiplying counters as like one of the core themes of your deck, then it, it's certainly reasonable. Yeah, you know I've played enough EDH I think to know that lands like this tend to be a little fussier than I want them to be. Uh, and the problem with this is even when it goes right, when everything is going right, it's still only one land that gives you two mana. Like Temple of False God just does that for no effort. Um, so it's 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 a lot of work for a less payoff but i agree that you know it could be could be useful all right oh yep segment two cards to watch why don't you get us started uh sure so there are still some masterpieces that um are were lesser priorities but haven't popped yet and are only going to pop if somebody decides to go deep on them but still have pretty good mid to long-term con uh uh, prospects um, you know stuff like sure we're having a really great time flipping our soul rings and our chalice of the voids and whatever and there's five, the top five or ten masterpieces um, have been fairly liquid even at like double their original price these some of these other cards are including these next couple of picks of mine um, are probably slower burns but um, seem reasonable given their demand profiles <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> So my pick, uh, first pick is Solemn Similicrum uh, Masterpieces. Somebody pointed out to us there's like 40,000 decks on EDH.rec with this card in it. So by any reasonable measure of EDH demand, um, if even 1% of the people that are running it in a deck decide to upgrade it, 
then the card could easily move from its current price tag of about $50 to, say, $80. I, I, I don't have too much to say here because I love all the masterpieces. Like, we talked about them last week. I said, you know, you really can't miss for the most part. Um, you know, I posted a picture on Twitter that I have um, several on hand right now, and I like them all. And I was telling James before we recorded the cast that I've been trying to avoid putting them on my picks of the week because my picks would be nothing but like I would just be picking masterpieces everywhere everyone was asking me about them I think Solemn is great I think your other one this week is great I think almost all of them are, are pretty solid um, it's really just a question of how fast each one individually will turn around because they will all get there eventually but I agree that Solemn is definitely on the shorter list <clears throat> all right so what's your first pick this week uh, my card is, uh, both of my cards this week are actually thanks to listeners who chimed in. Um, they l- heard what I said last week. They, they came back with some feedback and so I hope I'm not burning them here, <laughs> but I thought they were good choices. Um, you know, we started off talking about rampant growth NPR promos a couple weeks ago. Those had jumped pretty heavily. Uh, and now I had talked about putrefy a week or, uh, last week, I think. Um, my first pick this week is harmonize. Uh, do you remember Harmonize, Jason, the card. Or, uh, James? The mm-hmm. card, sure. Three, draw three yeah, cards yeah, yeah. in green. Yeah, but it's the the color shifted. Uh, what is it? Is it, it's not opportunity, right? It's not tidings either. Um, shoot, it's color shifted something. Uh, but it does have an NPR promo. It's real cool looking. You can grab these about $4 and change right now, right around $5. Um, there's only 14 vendors on TCG player with copies for a little over 20 copies total. And it has actually played nearly 10,000 EDH decks. That is a surprisingly large number of decks. You know, we talk about, you know, when we talk about picks, a lot of times I think our cutoff is around the 2,500 to 3,000 range where we start to pay attention. Um, so this is in a, a very healthy number of decks. Um, I don't see it getting less popular. It's an efficient, valuable card in a color that likes that uh, just straightforward draw some stuff. Um, and we're never going to see these uh, these uh, full art NPR promos again. So with, with how few are out there and where the price is, I think you're set up for at least a double up, uh, possibly pretty easily a triple up, I think. The thing about cards that draw cards in the color green is that they're extremely rare. Um and so being able to draw three for four mana in a color that can that for whom four mana is more like three mana is a pretty sweet place to be and almost a necessity if you're playing green yeah it's it's very surprisingly efficient in the color for sure and green is not it doesn't have any shortage of ways to draw cards but if you're not going through the work of playing like soul the harvest or whatever other effect that you've got going on like this gives you the opportunity um, for much much less work I guess Concentrate was the card we were trying to think of there. That's, oh, that's, that's the blue one, right? There's so many, like, blue, draw, three, four, five cards. It's Sorcery and Instant. I can't keep them all straight. Fair. Okay, what's your next card? So I think it's interesting to consider whether Intruder Alarm, which was on our spikes list this week from, say, 5 to $10, might go from 10 to 20 hmm. Um it's showed up in a fringe deck in modern um, with the combo that we uh, discussed earlier. Con- Conley Woods has been it has been fooling around with it on stream, and it's the deck can definitely go off, and it's relatively consistent. Um, and more to the point, Intruder Alarm is just a busted ass card that it has this open ended synergy where any th- any creature that taps to do a thing that if it if it can do it a bunch of times lets you go infinite. Um, you know. It, if it puts a creature into play and then on, somehow 
that creature coming into play untaps it and it gets to do it again, then all sorts of craziness can happen. So it can go with the the new white creature that we talked about from Hour of Devastation. It works with Kiki Jiki. Um, you know, it's it's one of the more busted cards in modern that isn't a big deal. And it hasn't been reprinted since 8th edition. Um, there's no copies floating around. It's not the kind of card that I think Wizards has their eye on as a like priority reprint. So pretty unlikely to show up in any of the decks or sets that we've got on on tap so far. If it got a little more popular in Modern, you could see it in Modern Masters 2019, but that's quite a ways off yet. This is a, a really nifty card. Uh, you're, it's been on the fringes of Modern forever. I think it is. It is pretty tempting for sure. I, I don't argue with that. And you know, it's it's one of those cards. I think when I was when Modern was new, I kept trying to find a way to get it to do something. Uh, I was completely unsuccessful, as most other people have been to this point. You know, we did mention briefly earlier that with the printing of that new card, this goes from like a three card combo to a two card combo, which I think can matter. Excuse me, can matter a lot in um in modern um you know especially if it's if they're lower cost it's you play the creature on two untap play this on three and go off uh you're right that there's not a lot of inventory out there uh we're probably not going to see a reprint on this anytime soon wizards would have basically already have had to have it in the pipe and i don't know why they would have um seems unlikely at this point um especially because it is just such a wonky card so you know ten dollars is is a little steep i i would want to see like i would want to see anything i would want to see any action on the deck first, like did it five Oh modern league, which we would never actually know about, but did it do it? Um, <laughs> like, like, did somebody record videos where they're actually winning games? Did it top 64 a Star City event? Did it accomplish anything? If I see that, then I'm definitely more interested. Then I'm like, okay, now we're good. Now I like, I a hundred percent. So I think it's, I think it's definitely a great, a great idea. I just want, I really just want to see a little bit more before I start putting money into it. So here's what else is in the deck in case people are interested. And there's an article on Star City uh, from, I think, last week or the week before that breaks this all down. Four Birds of Paradise and Eternal Witness. Four Hunted Phantasm. These hunted cards people have been trying to break forever. So (laughs) Hunted Phantasm is a 4-6 unblockable for 1-2 blue. So excellent rate. The downside is it gives your opponent five 1-1 red goblin creature tokens. Um, but that also happens to set off, a, uh, allow you to cast the good part of Beck and Call. So whenever a creature enters the battlefield this turn, you draw a card. So you can cast Beck and then cast Hunted Phantasm and draw six. Um, it's got an Is It Stated caster, a ne- four Nest Invader, which is the 2-2 from Zendikar block that makes a, or Origins? <laughs> you know, Both? wait, you know what I realized with Hunted Phantasm too? Is it those five one one goblin tokens give you five intruder alarm triggers as well right so if you have like a mana generating creature or something that taps to do something like an static caster you get six triggers when you cast this thing huh. yeah so noble hierarch play set of noble hierarchs a restoration able angel three three been doomsayer which is basically the worst version of the white card we were talking about earlier uh the two two which is uh which is now going to be replacing it in the deck uh, Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker, two copies. Then Ether Vials and Four Intruder Alarms, Court of Calling, Sprout Swarm, and Beck Call. So, and, and I know he's been through a few iterations of this already on his stream, where he's been improving it. Um, deck's fun. I have no idea if it can be competitive in the world of uh, Grixis Death Shadow. 
Um, but I don't know. Intruder Alarm is still like super low inventory. I, I like this card a lot better at five than I do at 10. I think we can both agree on that for obvious reasons. Um, so <laughs> if you can find them locally sitting around in binders, I don't think that's going to be all that unlikely. It's the kind of thing that will be could easily have been languishing in somebody's trade binder for a long time oh, yeah. um, and could easily be sitting around in bulk binders in a store. Um, so we're taking a look for, I, I think it's worth considering at 10, especially if the deck makes inroads because there just aren't very many copies around. And I seriously doubt we're getting any in the next year. I love when we provide valuable financial insight, like this card is good if you buy it at half the price of what it should be. <laughs> I mean, the, the reality though is that a lot of these Which like, I do all the time, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but the thing, and that's the reason I give that advice because locally I pick up cards every week, week after week after week, different stores all the time where they're just not up to on all of the later latest price tracking. Um, yeah. Or they just they just disagree. Like sometimes they just have 30 copies in stock in the back room that have been there forever and they don't care that it's spiked. They're just willing to sell them to you for whatever price they've got on them just to get them out of the out of the store. Right, um, right, right, right. You know, sometimes you're, you're, uh, you catch them, you, you know, give them a little advice and say, hey, this, these things over here are mispriced and then they give you some leniency on the other ones you point out. Um, all sorts of things can happen if you go poking around and it's usually worthwhile. Sure. I, I love raiding local stores. I gave up on it a while ago because the stores stopped paying, giving me the cards for the prices they were marked. Because <laughs> when I walked in the door, they're just like, if I'm like, if I asked for cards, they started looking them up. So I just stopped. But if you can get away with it, then by all means, go for it. I, I, did, mis- um, I did make the mistake recently in a store of answering the question. Uh, when they said, how many do you want? And I said, how many you got? The guy yes. <laughs> the guy immediately went to the, the terminal and looked it up. Yeah. I, I that, said, mm. So I made that mistake once. <laughs> Usually, if I, if I get that question, I would probably say like two play sets. Because you're probably going to end up with more. That's probably going to be more than they have. And two play sets sounds like for me and a friend or me and my girlfriend type of thing. Um, and if it seems like they have more, then you can be like, oh, did you... Did you have more than that? And then they say, yeah, we had so, oh, really? Well, you know, you, you can be like, can we give me a deal if I buy all of them? And then maybe they'll think like, oh, this didn't spike. This guy's an idiot and just trying to speculate on them. Like, because he's trying to get a deal instead of you already having gotten a deal because they've got them at a third of the price. Well, and the funny thing is that sometimes these stores shoot themselves in the foot because if they're relying on, say, Star City pricing and Star City is sold out of something, they typically go with that price. Because they have no other reference point to use unless they are, are um, in like motivated to go look things up in other places, which often the store staff are not. So, right. um, you know, and, and it's also a bit of an echo chamber. Like, this is not the way pricing should work. Pricing should be about responding to your local supply and demand. So if you have a lot of demand, a lot of players in your store playing EDH, then your EDH prices should naturally be a little higher than you would find them online. And vice versa with other you know stores that have other formats that are higher in popularity. Pricing against the, the broadest possible market um, is rarely going to work out for you in retail. Yep. That does not stop them from doing it, though. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <coughs> I'm done with the Truner Alarm. Tell me about your next pick. Okay. Uh, my next pick, uh, again, in the same line of the NPRs, I like Mortify as well. Um, Mortify, there are... Uh, copies at about $2 and change, $3. There are nine vendors on TCG Player for a total of like 15 copies. It is played in, uh, wait for it, 9,500 EDH decks, so the same type of profile. Um, 
this is the same thing as putrefy basically destroys a creature or enchantment putrefy was creature or artifact uh cool art um very few copies dirt cheap to get in you know triple up does not seem unreasonable uh you can definitely probably snag these at your local store too a lot of players might not even really know that they're out there so if there's kind of a trading scene at your store um you know you can snag these and throw them in your binder and people might like oh i didn't even know that these things existed uh just keep them next to a normal version of the card so that they know what it does (laughs) um but yeah mortify i like i like these mprs yeah, MPR inventory is low enough that any amount of casual EDH collector demand should be able to move the price tags uh, to a, uh, a higher plateau and hold it for a while. Um, it's not the kind of, they're never going to reprint them in just that specific way. Um, some of these cards could get better reprints. Like there's a there's another promo of Mortify, right? Uh, Mortify. Uh, hold on, I have to look that up then. Let's see, Mortify has. Like seven printings: Commander, Commander, Conspiracy, Dual Deck, Sworn versus Tibalt, Commander, Guild Pact, MPR. So they're all basically normal printings of the card, other than MPR. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, if there's no other promo, um, you know, the Conspiracy foils are pretty nice and not too expensive, but uh, the MPR seems like a solid target. There's just really not that many of them around. No, I really love these cards. Like I, you know, I understand why they don't print them anymore and why they shouldn't, and I agree. But they do look pretty cool in your hand, for the same reason that full art lands do. Sure. So I mean, near near mint, we've got something like ten, twelve copies under four bucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's essentially nothing. So somebody should just go ahead and clean them up. Yeah, I did not actually buy any of these at this point, so you're all welcome. <laughs> um, all right, what's your last pick this week? So the other EDH-related uh, masterpiece that seems like a solid, slower burn pick is Extra Planar Lens. This is the three-mana uh, artifact that comes into play. You exile uh, or imprint uh, via exile uh, one of your basic lands, and then... From then on, all of the basic lands with the same name make double the mana. Uh, yep. Yep. That's how that familiar works. with that's this. How that works, right? So, yes. I mean, this is uh, in like 6,000 decks on EDH.rec. Uh, it was printed quite some time ago. I think it's originally from the Mirrodin block cycle. Um, and the MPs are only like 5, 10 bucks more than the original like pack foils, which is almost nothing. Um, the card. There's still 30, 40, 50 copies floating around North America side, probably a similar amount in Europe, other smatterings around the globe. And I suspect that, you know, this isn't going to be the kind of card that if you pick up 10, you're going to sell 10 in the first week. Um, And it's not going to be an easy card to spike unless you buy all of them. But uh, I think it's pretty uh, solid pick to go from, say, 30 to 50 over the course of 12 12 to 18 months, which is not the most exciting pick uh, possible anywhere, but is a very solid pick and a card that you could also play with in your EDH deck in the meantime. Extra Planar Lens is an awesome card. Uh, I put this in my Zada Commander deck, um, and it's been awesome for me. Like you drop it in the play, suddenly you get all this extra mana. It can pay for itself on the same turn. I think a lot of EDH players should be playing it that aren't. Um, it's one of the cheaper masterpieces right now too, which I really like uh, because not only is it one of the cheaper ones, it's also a really good one. So I am totally on board with these. I've been trying to catch them where I can. And if you do play extra light planar lens in your deck, I will provide a suggestion. If you are playing like a monocolor deck, play uh, 
snow-covered basics. And then that way, your opponents don't get mana from your extra planar lands. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is... There are other... This was nowhere near the top of my list. Um, but I think it's actually worth contrasting to some of the other masterpieces, because earlier you said you like them all. I think that if we look at this list, you don't actually like them all. Let me give you a list of a couple of masterpieces you guys should not target, which might actually be more valuable to you. I don't think anybody should be going after Black Vice. <clears throat> that card is insanely broken, to the point where it makes magic utterly unfun for anybody playing under it. Um, but because it's so broken, it's not played in any format. So I don't even know why it was included. Uh, Defense Grid is not going to go anywhere anytime soon, I don't think. Uh, Grindstone, is, I thought, might have better legs because it's kind of a fringy card in, in Legacy and with Painter Servant and so forth. Um, but nobody seems particularly interested. I would steer clear of that one. Meekstone, steer way, way clear. Um, Sphere of Resistance, probably not. And Sword of War and Peace is like the least liked sword, right? That's the white-red one. Uh, yes. I mean, it's definitely still played. Uh, Sword of War and Peace shows up in... Come on, I hate that that doesn't do it. 3,400 decks. Oh, okay. I take that one back. At, at 3,400, that's about the same as as uh, extra planar lens. If if one's good, so is the other. Um, but the others, I think we can agree, are not things you want to be going after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fair. They're not all good. Uh, a lot of them are. I will amend my statement. Yeah. So, I mean, we're getting into the moderate ones now at this point um, that haven't spiked yet. Uh, extra planar lens. One of the things I think that's it's extra special going for it is that it's out of uh, Ether Revolt, not Kaladesh, right? Um, so there are significantly fewer of those than there are from the fall set release. Okay, yeah, I know. I would heard that there was uh, some extra Aether Revolt or out floating around out there for vendors to pick up. So I don't know if that changes the dynamic at all. Um, but I mean, you know. As long as there isn't a humongous flood of product, I don't think that's really going to matter. You'd have to have a lot of product hit the market uh, to really move um, expedition or invention prices because, you know, you'd have to open cases to get one specific uh, invention. It's a lot of cases. It's like dozens and dozens of cases. So, I mean, the um, and the reality is that I've been looking at that data that came out of Europe a little while back that showed the relative number of cards from, or not the relative, the actual number of cards for sale um, for each set on Magic Card Market, which is like TCG Player in Europe. And we mentioned this before about how the numbers for the set after the fall set are significantly lower in almost every case over the last 10 years, which suggests that, you know, because it's post-holiday season and people don't have as much money, people don't buy as much product. Um, Magic wants to be a 24-7 product, but they also recognize that there are ebbs and flows, right? So they, they know that those revenues are going to be lower. And it's also a small set. Um, so uh, you need to buy less of it to get the cards you need in general. Um, and so, the yeah, I think that that's a little bit of a boon for Lens, but I still think you're going to be sitting on them. <clears throat> Who knows? Somebody could put $1,000 into this card and it could pop tomorrow. Um, but I like it because even if that doesn't happen, it's probably a good gainer long-term. Okay, let's move on to segment three, our topic of the week. This week, James and I are joined by Jason Alt. Uh, you will know him from a variety of sources. He uh, writes for MTG Price. He is the content manager over EDH Rack. We also know he is a fellow podcast host over on the Long Running Brainstorm Brewery. 
Jason and I uh, got into a conversation earlier this week uh, about EDH and the speed at which people are reacting to information and the, uh, I should say, discriminatory choices or lack of discrimination in their choices uh, that have been coming up. So, Jason, uh, do you want to give our listeners kind of an idea of, of what you were thinking here? Well, um, I noticed that uh, in years past, people were kind of seeing some stuff spoiled um, a lot worse than we have it now. I remember the entire Black Commander 2015 deck was spoiled. Or was it 2014? It was the uh, the mono black one. I think that was 2014. Yeah, yeah. That entire uh, deck was spoiled at once, and stuff like that didn't really affect prices as much as... Uh, as basically a picture of a rabo, is that that's probably that's no. probably how it's kitty cat. It's meow loro, right? It's the it's the cat with the command zone ability. I'm calling him meow loro. Um, <laughs> so everybody said, oh, it's a kitty cat. We have to buy all the kitty cats, and uh, people are buying crap like waiting in the weeds and white sun zenith and just all kind of crap that doesn't even work with him as the commander. You're go- a bunch of go-wide cat cards that don't even really play with his ability, which is to make one creature big. Uh, so, I think EDH moves slowly enough, um, because here's what's going to happen. People are going to see Meow Loro, and they're going to like go on tapped out and like make a deck, like we've seen already. Even though there are 99 more cards in that deck, there are going to be two more legendary creatures, maybe more than that, because we saw more than three legends in the dragon deck. So there are going to be a bunch of legends, any of which could be built around. There are going to be something like 15 new cards in every deck, plus stuff that's getting reprinted. Uh, Like if Waiting in the Weeds is reprinted, then there goes that spec. Um, I've had a lot of success with Waiting in years past, and uh, I think you can wait until all 100 cards are spoiled. You absolutely can, because what's going to happen is when all 100 cards are spoiled, people are going to change their decks on tapped out and we're going to start to get some data on EDH rec right away. And uh, we're going to start to see what the majority of people are building with. And then you have weeks for people uh, to bother getting their hands on the deck. So when it's fully spoiled, you have like two or three weeks before the decks even available for purchase. And then it's not even until decks are available for purchase that people are even buying the other cards in the decks. You just have all kinds of time to wait and what people are doing by shooting their wad as soon as one card out of 100 is spoiled is I think they're um, they're just buying cat cards indiscriminately. And I think some of them are going to be hits, but like individuals aren't hitting so much as like the community is going to hit maybe like yeah. 10% of their specs, maybe 5%. And what they're going to do is they're those 95 to 90% of cards that aren't hits, they're just going to drive the prices up for everybody. And EDH players are going to have to pay more for cards that only went up because people that didn't know what they were doing bought a bunch of crap indiscriminately. Uh, I think that's going to tick off the EDH community. And really, we should be in the business of buying that stuff and selling the stuff to them, but not getting the stuff that they're not going to need. Or wasting our money on busted specs that end up getting printed. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily all that smart to be like, well... Foils can't be in the deck, so I'll buy foil bad cards. I don't think that's necessarily a, a great play either. I think you have time to wait, and I think we should be waiting. So I don't know what has driven this behavior lately. You just, the finance community really used to leave EDH alone, and I was the only one writing about it. 
But it's clearly not people reading my articles that are buying like this, because if anyone had read my articles, they would know how much time I think everybody's got. So I feel like if you've read any article, you should, wouldn't be buying Waiting in the Weeds. If you've ever played a game of Magic, you wouldn't be buying Waiting in the Weeds. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it seems plausible. Uh, I don't really care how well Regal Caracal is selling. I don't really care how well Pride Sovereign is selling. I don't think that many people are going to build a tribal cat deck. I, I just don't. I, if you look at the tribal commanders that have come out in the commander product in the past, now they never did a dedicated tribal set, but still, you know what people are building is uh, is completely different from what everybody thinks they're going to build based on seeing one card. So I think that people really should be waiting. Uh, and I don't see re- like Mana Echoes. Uh, I I identified well, Mana Echoes. Echoes a, I think that might have been Locust God that did that. So it's hard to know because Mana Echoes. That was before the, that was before the cap. That was before the cats. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's been, like, on the radar for a long time. Like, I remember looking at the spec on that at 15, like, two years ago. Yeah. Well, not 15. Well, that was a card that I I said, if it's not... If Mana Echoes is not in Commander 2017 in any of the decks, that's one of those cards that goes from, like, 15 to 30. I compared it to um, Phyrexian Altar, where I said, if Phyrexian Altar's in the Marin deck, great. But if it's not in the Marin deck, then that's a $30 card. And it peaked at 30, and it's, like, 2025 right now. So that's just, it's one of those cards that I kind of thought Man Echoes really needed to be in the deck, but I'm certainly not going to buy it just in case it's reprinted. And I feel the same way about Patriarch's bidding. So there is stuff that you can identify that you can say, once we have it confirmed not in the deck, then you buy. But I I think people have not been waiting. Patriarch's bidding has been tipping, ticking up, even though it could easily get a reprint and blow these people out. And I don't know why people aren't waiting when we have so much time it, commander decks come out like two months before christmas and people still get them as christmas presents like that's mm-hmm. how long you have it, well, it, it's crazy so I, I have a couple thoughts here first for our listeners it's a rabo war of the world um it was spoiled back uh the day after july 4th um <clears throat> five mana five five legendary creature cat avatar it has eminence at the beginning of combat on your turn uh, if Arabo is in your command zone or in play, another another cat you control gets 3-3 till end of turn. So in play or out of play, it buffs one of your cats by 3-3. And then whenever an attack, a cat you control attacks, you can pay 3. And if you do, you get it gains trample and doubles its power and toughness. Um, that one you can only use in play. And it's a green-white card. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. You know, I think... It, Stuff like waiting in the weeds and some of these other choices, you're completely right. I have no idea why people are targeting those because they're not, even if they're not in the deck and the deck rewards going wide with cats, which this commander doesn't, it's still not a good card, right? Like, it's just not a playable card and there's too many copies. So, I, I don't know where people think they're going with that. Um, also, I don't think I mean, White Sun Zenith is that much better. Well, I think White Sun Zenith is like fine ish because late in the game you get a whole bunch of bodies for one card. And you, you know, I can, given that this commander's green and white, I can still see being able to take advantage of a lot of those effects, right? A lot of the cat cards create cat tokens. So even though Robbo pays you for buffing one single guy, there's going to be a lot, a lot of the other cat cards give extra cat tokens. So if you've got like doubling season or, um, you know, all those other token doublers, you've got anointed procession, if you've got come in the play effects for your creatures, if you've got sack outlets, like you can make use of that stuff. And they, you know, they benefit from other tribal bonuses. So I don't think those are terrible. Um, but I do agree that like, they're not great. Although I love the idea that they spoil this card and everyone's like, Oh my God, there's going to be a cycle of cat Lords. And then it's going to turn out that it's a cycle of avatar Lords. And this is the only cat. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, the other thing here is that there are going to be other uh, commanders, right? And one of them is probably going to be a go-wide commander because so many of the cards that they don't really have a very deep cat pool to choose from. They're only going to have a few new cards in the in the deck. And so if you look over a lot of the older cards, there's basically sub-themes of, you know, go-wide and like white weenie. And then there's an equipment sub-theme from the Mirrodin blocks. And so, you know, it's not that much of a stretch to go after foil white Sun Zenus. I mean, if they if it had been printed in Modern Masters 2017 and there was a shit ton of them on the market um, and they were all kind of languishing in the four dollar range or something, then I certainly wouldn't be loading up my cart for the first 20 percent of them. But given that when the announcement was made, there was a scant double handful on the market. Sure. I went ahead and pulled the trigger on four or five because the opportunity cost was so low. I mean, it was already... White Sun Zenith foils. White Sun, I mean, okay, yeah. They were so cheap, and there was already like 3,000 decks that registered the card on EDH as is, and you got to assume that that's going to at least double as people go after the cats. You the think other thing so? Is- there are 300 Cassetto decks on EDH Rec. There are like 20 Eile Cleric tribal decks. You know, the, people aren't building crap tribal decks, and I think cats are crap. And I think... I mean... They, Even they don't if 300 p- people register a deck on EDH rack, you're looking at in the 3,000 range for a track set. That's what moves prices. So yeah, I mean, foils are scarce, but like, who's building a cat tribal deck and also foiling it out? Like, you're... The, the, the that subsection of people start. is so small. Like, I'm dirtily enough to build cat tribal, but also I want to foil my deck out. I, I, I Who are you trying to sell these... White I, 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 think, I think if this I, is I think it's a new market seg- I, I think it's a new market segment because yeah, the, the, I don't think we should be second guessing Wizards marketing team. They they have made many mistakes and they'll make many more. But I don't think they would be tabling a cat deck they didn't think people would buy. <laughs> the, the, obviously they think that what's, whatever's in that deck is going to get off the shelves because they're well aware that by having some crappy decks and some good ones, they've had trouble getting dealers to reorder all five at once. And it's been a problem in the past, which is why the the decks. It's last not that year the decks so are good. crappy; it's that one of the decks is worth seventy dollars, and selling for that on eBay, and the rest of them are worth less than MSRP on eBay. That's that's been their issue. Sure, but that's that's sourced based on demand for the decks, and it's not always playability because the Nekusar deck was far from the best one, but that just had a bunch of valuable cards in it. Like, the white one was far from the best one, but hey, Contamination Priest was in there. So, you know, if we move away from the cost of the, the deck, and if we're talking about, like, uh, who the hell is going to build cat decks, and we're talking about popularity, um, your, your Nekusar had some valuable cards in it, but the reason Nekusar was so popular is because people loved that style of play. Like, and I don't think we really would have ever looked at Nekusar ahead of time and gone, casuals are going to eat this up. They love this type of gameplay. But they did, and we saw, like, every windfall uh, fact in existence spike as, long, as well as some other stuff. And a lot of that held its ground. And I look at this cat guy, this cat guy and I'm like, the mascot of the internet is a cat, right? Like, it is cats. That is the internet's creature type. So if you pick any other creature type, I don't think and it's nearly as interesting uh, in terms of like who is going to go out and build this because most people don't give a shit. Um, you know, if it was horses, if it was frogs, like it'd be amusing, but nobody would care. But like cats all hold sort of a special place, I think, in this market. And you're right. 
the the overlap between people who want to build cat decks and people who like to foil their decks is minimal. But if we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people building cat decks, we only need 1% of them to build foils for stuff like that to be valuable. And I mean, we can argue about like individual picks here and there, but I, you know, I think it's the, the concept here in general, because, you know, getting back to your Patriarch Spinning comment, you're completely right. I think stuff like Patriarch Spinning and Mana Echoes are awesome choices, but you can't buy them until you know the list because you will get blown out if you buy this stuff now and they reprint these because there's going to be a million of them. Like, I'm terrified to buy anything that's not a foil right now. I had Rakshas in my cart at like $1.40, and I am like, which is still like basically buyless value here. And I'm like, I still don't know if I pull the trigger on this because it seems so easy to put it in that commander deck and then I get screwed. And that was at $1.70 a piece. I'm not talking 15 bucks. So like the people buying these Patriarch spinnings at 10 and $8, like what the hell are you going to do when it's in the deck and it ends up at $2? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in Jason's preaching, you know, patience and priority, right? Like the the, the concept that a non-foil is at risk if it's in, in play to be included in the deck is just a no-brainer. I mean, go, going out and buying up stuff that is imminently about to be reprinted is silly. But we um, don't have we don't have the luxury of waiting anymore because people are just buying everything now. So I don't I don't think that you'll have the ability to buy Patriarchs bidding at fifteen. I think enough people are buying indiscriminately right now. It might be a twenty five dollar card by the time the the full spoiler's out. I don't. I think we are losing the luxury of being able to wait because there are so many actors right now just buying like lunatics. And I, I think it used it's like a luxury of the past where we got to wait and see the full spoiler. I think you almost have to commit now just because people are buying every single card with a picture of a kitty cat on it based on one spoiled bad card. So I mean, do you the, really think that once we get even more stuff spoiled we're going to have the luxury of waiting on patriarchs betting i think we are going to have to make our bets months in advance like we never had to in the past and i think that's an issue that's, that's what game i have a problem with yeah and i mean i think it's interesting where this all heads for edh right because one of the problems i mean one of the things that's going on here is that this format is ascendant right like the the, the narrative that i've been trying to parrot for the last six months is that it's taking up a bigger and bigger uh, percentage of the population of cards that spike because the interest is growing because EDH players, contrary to my belief, say two years ago, um, are, you know, collectors at heart and have multiple decks and they, they upgrade those decks and they bling them out. And, um, they do all the things that I thought were going to prevent that format from driving prices. You know, I, I originally thought of EDH as, well, they just need one copy of a card. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, obviously, constructed formats where you need four copies of a card is going to drive prices harder. But, but constructed formats only care about, like, 100 cards total. If you look at, like, there are 100 cards played in Legacy. There are, you know, tens of thousands of cards that matter in EDH. It's a right. bulk rare format. Anything can be good. So that's why it's tending to drive prices just because like more cards matter it's less of a hey we've solved this format you have to play you know four copies of this card that's how you play legacy edh is sort of you can play whatever you want yeah and i mean we're also in a product paradigm where the needs of the existing player base don't line up with the product release schedule and what i mean by that is that Every year of Commander, they aim to have a theme. So like this year, we're getting Tribal or whatever. Well, that means that the primary product aimed at this this market segment 
isn't going to be carrying a lot of the reprints that the players for that run other commanders need that are have been targeted or are really old and just have been at a print for a long time. And because of that, it, this much larger card pool, it's much harder to address the needed reprints than it is in something like modern, where, as you said, there's only like 100 cards that are relevant. So as long as they put out a set every couple of years, everybody gets a chance to buy in lower. I mean, a lot of these cards are also thematically incorrect for the existing, like, design dev paradigm at Wizards and are just not going to get released even though they're not on the reserve list, right? Not to mention the cards that are popular in EDH that are on the reserve list. Yeah, absolutely. Does Steely Resolve, uh, is that ruled out of one of the Commander 2017 decks because it says Shroud, essentially, and not Hexproof? Right. Oh, I forgot about that card. I've got several of those. Come on, don't yeah. reprint it. <laughs> you didn't read my article this week, that clearly. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But I, no, I, I talked about I talked about Steeler Resolve, and I talked about Cover of Darkness, which is essentially uh, the same thing, but you choose a creature, and they all get fear. Fear being a keyword that they've basically all but done away with, because it used to be just relegated to black creatures, and then they wanted red creatures to have menace also. Yeah, I think... Does that rule it out of reprinting? It's, it's Some of the stuff, it's not reserve list, but it's all but ruled out just because it doesn't fit the current design paradigm. Yeah, I mean, those, those are very valid concerns. I don't know if they're as married to, um, you know, modern keyword guidelines in Commander product as they are elsewhere. Um, <clears throat> like, you're not really going to see fear show up in Modern Masters unless they absolutely have to. Uh, but, you know, I, I think they might sneak it in in Commander products if if they feel it really fits but the, the overall the overall concept here i think is you know for me is i you know i sit on the sidelines for them on a lot of this stuff and i'm like oh okay they're doing tribal here are all the cards that i think would be awesome like i have them right off the top of my head like i was talking about dora destinies i've been talking about you know patriarch spitting is awesome mine echoes is great um silly reserve or resolve all these cards are cool but i'm like it's really hard for me to pull the trigger on most of them because I'm like, I can't, I can't in good conscience make this purchase now because I know the risk way outweighs the reward. Um, and I want to stress this to our listeners. Like I know how tempting it is to see something like this get spoiled and you want to react because you know, it's going to be good, but it is a losing proposition to chase that stuff. Foils are sometimes okay. You kind of got to take it on a case by case basis, but you can't go hog wild in this or else you'll, you'll buy 10 different cards. You'll hit on one of them and you're going to lose way more on the other nine. You just have to wait where you're going to make your money is catching the second level cards. The stuff that's not extremely obvious that is also good, but people don't catch right away. And this reminds me of when, um, Jace and, uh, Stoneforge were banned in standard years ago. And I remember people talk. I remember Sam, I think it was Sam Stodd, because he wasn't working at Wizards yet, went out and bought like a bunch of primeval titans. And it was like he wasn't like buying cards that were like it was like instead of the first level of like what changes now that these are banned, it was like, well, if you think about it a little bit further, you can find the cards that are gonna react to that that people aren't going to have gotten to yet, that are way less likely to be reprinted, and that's where you want to be shooting. Um and so, that's, you know, that's kind of essentially what my uh, EDH Rex, or my, uh, my MTG Price series was predicated on, which is they're going to print new cards and they're going to make old cards spike and the new cards are relevant. People ask me what I think Solemnity is going to end up at. I don't care. <laughs> Solemnity is already spiked 20 cards, and that's what you need to be thinking of. Like, not, not right. what you want to pay for Solemnity. Is it worth pre-ordering? I guess I'm not a great financier because I don't have an answer when people ask that question, but I just don't think it's as relevant as maybe you should pay a buck for a decree of silence before it's 11. 
that's such a good that's such a good example because it's like okay we see solemnity get spoiled first level is like buying solemnities like no that's a bad idea it's going to be a, a in standard rare second level is finding the cards that combo with solemnity that's like the Cree of silence and those are the cards that are going to move really quickly but the smart level the level where you, i think the better profit can be if you're unless you have a trigger finger and you're on you're you know on the stores the second these cards get spoiled is what makes car- decks that want solemnity and decree of silence like uh um Zer. Uh, well, Zer, um, Academy Rector, and uh, Replenish. Like, those are really good choices, right? Those are going to be in those decks. Like, if you're playing these cards, you're playing these cards, but they're, like, three levels removed, so that's where to go. And it's funny, too, because James, before before you hopped on, James was like, I don't know why people are buying Solemnity Foils at $20. What the hell do they think is going to happen? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing here, like, I mean, the thing about this is that you definitely want to next level it but you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot by trying to next, next, next level it. Like, I can't even tell you the number of weeks that go by where listeners contact us and say, hey, in a week where between all the various finance podcasts and article writers on multiple websites, there have been at least 20 to 25 rock solid, excellent picks tabled that you can consider that probably haven't all been bought out yet. You know, if you're quick on the trigger in terms of listening to stuff and reading up every day. Um, you know, here's this rando $1 thing that I was looking at that I'm planning on buying six of. What do you think? And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you got to make priorities. Like, sure, I bought some whites on Zenith, but I didn't buy 4,000 of them. Like, you, you need to buy in proportion to, you know, which picks are your biggest priority based on which ones are most likely to succeed. And trying to be novel in MTG Finance is far less valuable than trying to be on target. Uh, I mean, you can, sure, you can go out and buy, you know, Glacial Chasm in response to Solemnity, or you can be really ridiculous and go buy Polar Kraken. It's got cumulative upkeep, but now it doesn't, so now it's a vanilla 11-11 or whatever. Hey, hey, it's got trample. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and and i think that's really fair james is is you're right is the, the further removed more removed you get the the harder it is to hit accurately and the more you kind of get like dispersion like everyone's going to buy solemnity and run it with decree of silence less people are going to play it with academy rector and then the less people are going to play that with like replenish right you're, so you're completely correct that it kind of dissipates and i was just talking to somebody else you about this Hmm? Yeah, I was going to say you don't want to be novel because if no one else is buying with you, you don't have enough buying power to ship, to trigger the market anyway. Right. It doesn't matter how clever you are. If no one else is on your level, then you're still not going to make any money, even if you bought the best card for the deck. Yep, that's I, me buying Intruder Alarm three years ago. It, it, there's <laughs> another like, oh, fact Beck that I and Call makes that makes that blue green elf deck in modern ridiculous. You play Beck Call. It's basically it's a, a legal. Uh, glimpse. So this elf deck's gonna go nuts, and then Star City's like, "Yeah, we decided we we're gonna buy out uh, what is it, <laughs> Cloudstone Curio instead of Intruder Alarm." And I've been sitting on Intruder Alarm for three years, so uh, sometimes outsmarting everybody uh, isn't the best way to go. Yeah. So I mean, one of the interesting factors is that like an EDH card that's purchased early can't really be locked out of the market. Except that there's two things in the way, right? Like, if you buy a card that nobody wants, then you're not really preventing EDH players from getting a hold of it because they're not supposed to want it anyway. So if somebody went out and bought a bunch of Foyo Leonin Sky Hunters, that's like the 2-2 Vigilance Flyer or whatever that's not going to find a home in the cat deck, um, you know, they're dumb and everybody, 
those cards are just going to languish in their closet, right? So what we're really talking about is a card that there is demand for, but the demand isn't anywhere near the supply that somebody just captured. So you bought 100 copies of something, but you're only going to be able to sell like five copies a year. So you've got all this inventory trapped in your closet. Um, You've moved the price needle because it's, say, it's out of print and wasn't included in the deck. And so the price is now settled at a new plateau of $9.99 instead of $4.99. But the number of people that would have bought it at $4.99 is 10 times what it is at $9.99. But you don't know that because you're just the guy with the stuff in his closet. And cognitive dissonance prevents you from admitting that you were wrong. So instead of shipping it out, um, and we've all been guilty of this, it just rots in your closet and you pretend you never made that mistake. I have a big closet of the mis- of mistakes I've never made. <laughs> <laughs> I love when my mistake closet hits. Yeah, th- that's a good day. That's always a good day. When I bought Nightfall Spectre because it was good and vintage, so I bought all those promos, <laughs> and then Nightfall really? Spectre promos hit twenty five dollars. You bought promos because it was good and vintage. That was the what? That was not buying cards for vintage was not correct in this millennium. <laughs> hey, they were a quarter. Anything that is that good in vintage uh, is clearly good enough to be played eventually because it's a strong card. Well, well and keep really in mind that this. Order. Oh yeah, that, that, that's what they were worth before um, the, uh, the before Theros block. If you remember, like that card did nothing. <laughs> yeah. That Night Vale yeah. Spectre promo just did nothing because nobody cared about pips, and then all of a sudden Night Vale Spectre looks real good when it's uh, bumps your devotion by two. Man, three. I remember. Is it three? Messaging. Yeah, yeah, it was. I remember messaging Aaron and giving him a hard time because I'm like, God damn it, you gave red, white, and blue, black, Bor- uh, what was it? The Boros, Boros Sky, Reckoner, yeah. Reckoner and Night, and uh, whatchamacallit, Night Vale. I'm like, green got nothing. Green did not get a good triple one. It got like an uncommon one that was unplayable. Oh, I was so pissed about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the other interesting things here has been watching how this has all evolved in terms of how uh, confident Wizards is in these products, right? Like, if we go back to Commander 2013, we have them putting True Name Nemesis in decks to bait legacy players into purchasing product that they otherwise would have ignored. And now we're in a position where it feels like almost every set has a whole bunch of seeded cards that are specifically uh, designed for EDH. And in fact, you can argue that Hour of Devastation is underwhelmingly priced right now because so many of the cards in the set are more EDH-focused than they are anything else. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that a little bit last week, right? That Or uh, somewhere that, you know, Hour of Devastation right now is so flat uh, because it doesn't just doesn't look like there's much there that there's got to be... Where's the value going to come from? from? Because if like know. if the total sets forty bucks, no one's going to pay a hundred for a booster box. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, I think the idea here is that the set's actually worth more than that. We just don't know it yet. It's, well, it, it's it, 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 is it a Dragons of Tarkir or is it a Cons of or uh, Dragons Maze? Yeah, Dragons Maze. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't see a Dragons of Tarkir here. I think it's I don't think it's quite as bad as Dragons Maze. Uh, but I sus- I'm steering well clear. There, there is an interesting dynamic in play though that we've all talked about in other quarters, which is that. Um, the less people want it, the less it gets opened, and the less copies there will be ultimately of uh, the cards that people end up wanting. So down the road, if some card from this set gets activated by some new card that gets printed, then you know those spikes are going to be intense. And yeah. it still might, if even if it's one card going up profoundly, it's not going to be enough to really make the booster boxes a. a a good buy at that point. So it, it would take a lot 
for people to to want to buy booster boxes. So really, if you got one voice of resurgence in a set full of crap like you do with Dragon's <laughs> Maze, it's sort of. Yeah. At what point do you? Deal. At what point do you go buy booster boxes of Dragon's Maze? It would take three or four or five cards making it worth it. So I don't know if it's Rakshasa or or if it's Rising um. What, oh, Razaketh. Yeah, I, Raksh, I don't man. Rakshasa is probably not even a, a real card. Raksha, yeah. Raksha's yeah. a cat, right? Razaketh. I should know. I, I spoiled that stupid thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's Razaketh or if it's... I don't even know what it would be. It's, you know, it's probably a mythic, but... Well, you know, the, really, it's it's not... It can't be all as bad as Dragon's Maze because you have the invocations. So those sort of, like, prop up the, you know, the, the baseline because you can always open those. And those didn't exist in Dragon's Maze. Like, you didn't have those. They didn't even random, have Shocklands like, like they did in the other two sets. That made no sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever. Um, okay, so we've been going on here for a little while. Uh, is there any thoughts you guys have left on Commander before we wrap it up for the week? Um, I don't know. I'm not saying like, oh, people who don't play Commander need to stay away from Commander speculation. That's not that's not reasonable, and that's not even my, my real thought. I'm just saying kind of you can wait so just be patient like i realize you think you're smart by buying before everybody else but you're actually really just uh putting yourself in a situation where you have way more chances to lose edh finance is real stable and it's real slow moving so just go with the flow kind of see what everybody else is doing and just sort of buy accordingly uh don't charge into a format you know nothing about like a bull in a china shop you don't see me you know pontificating on 9394 because i know nothing about it so you know, and, and if I if I dig it into ninety three ninety four, I certainly wouldn't be, you know, buying indiscriminately like I, I see a lot of people just charging into EDH doing. Just just know that you have lots of time, and use it. Yeah, I completely agree. There's always another option around the corner, and even if you miss something that doesn't get reprinted, don't worry about it because it's better to miss than have cost yourself hundreds of dollars because it got reprinted. Yeah, I mean, my final thought here is that EDH cards are still, by and large, too cheap over in Europe. Uh, also true in South America, somewhat true in Asia as well. Japan, too. And uh, yep. the good thing about that is uh, 95 MTG is the outlet for Hararui to get rid of their Japanese uh, EDH stuff in America. Because they know it sells better over here at GPs. That stuff doesn't move at Japan at all. So if you're at a GP, go check out 95 MTG's booth. They've got EDH staples for less than everybody else in the room. Yeah, yeah I mean, that is a real bummer. <laughs> they've 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 moved back in. They've moved into that market where it was ripe for us before, so it's not nearly as good as it used to be. I mean, the bottom line is that arbitrage is better than speculation, right? <laughs> Ar- yeah, arbitrage is, is money, arbitrage is picking up a twenty dollar card for ten dollars and knowing you're going to sell it for twenty, not picking up a four dollar card and hoping it hits ten. Yeah. Okay. So we'll uh, we'll close the show with that this week. Um, so let's do this. Jason, where can our listeners find you? I'm on Twitter at Jason E. Alt. You can hear my beautiful voice on the Brainstorm Brewery and Money Draft podcasts. I'm a writer for MTG Price and Gathering Magic. I'm the content manager on EDHREC.com. And, uh, man, I think that might be it. You know, I need another gig. That That's kind of a weak list. You know, until the end, it sounded like you had just written this down on a piece of paper on your wall next to your desk. You just got used to reading it off at the end of shows. Uh, James, how about you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. 
And again, I'm Travis Allen. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write for MTG Price every Monday. I'm also on the Cartel Aristocrats webcast. And if you like playing magic, check out scry.land, find magic in your area. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Okay, well, I had a great chat with you guys both this evening, and thank you so much for joining us, Jason. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, guys. See you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.